podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Uh, For those of you guys who are aware of uh, some of the rhythms of the Christian life and the rhythms of the church, uh, we are entering into a very special and a very significant season. Uh, It is a season of preparation. It's a season of learning to keep time and walk in step with Jesus, and particularly keeping time and walking in step with Jesus's suffering and the pain Uh, that Jesus endured uh, for our lives and the sin that he took upon himself. Now, I believe in the resurrection life of Jesus. I I love Easter. Uh, Easter is, in terms of my faith, it is one of the the funnest and it is one of the most exhilarating parts of my personal faith. Uh, Knowing that we serve a risen God, knowing that the one who came from heaven who lived his life, who laid his life down, he defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated the grave. Um, And that's an amazing reality to live in. And I endeavor to live in that resurrection life and to live in that resurrection joy and power and hope uh, on a daily basis. That's one of the things I strive for in my relationship with God. But as of late, I've been learning that resurrection power is actually amplified when we understand and recognize the depths of our sin that drove him to the cross. And this season that we're entering into, that started on Wednesday, that's going up until Palm Sunday, it's a season of preparation. It's a season of preparing to come to the cross. It's a season of introspection. It's a season of reflection a season of purification. It's a season of saying, God, would you search me during this season? Would you reveal to me hidden things? Would you reveal to me cycles that are in my life that were the reason why you had to go to the cross? God, Jesus didn't go to the cross arbitrarily. He went to the cross because there is a violent epidemic in the hearts of the human race, and it's called sin. We don't preach much on sin nowadays, But sin is a real thing. If you just go outside of the doors of this church and you start engaging with broken relationships and violence and wickedness and evil and utter selfishness, uh, you'll see sin is a very real thing and it not only affects human minds and it not only affects human hearts, it affects entire systems. It infects systems of thought and belief, systems of education, systems of government, systems of, of how we, how we, how we uh, engage with the world. Sin infects those things. And so this is a season where we say, God, have mercy on us because of our sin. This is a season where we say, Lord, uh, where I have become a partner, where I've become a willing partner with my sin, where I've tolerated it, Uh, I'm asking that you would sharpen not only my sensitivity, but I'm asking that you would sharpen my conviction and that things that I've just tolerated in my life and in my thinking and in my speech and in my attitude and, and in the habits of the way that I live, I'm inviting the light of your spirit as I keep time with Jesus to prepare to go to the cross and to prepare to experience new life and new renewal in Jesus. So we're entering that season and 
and we're going to be speaking more on that. I, I have a unique passage of scripture that I'm going to be speaking on today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to go with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26. And before I pray, I want to give uh, just a couple of uh, heads up on what we're going to be talking about today. Because uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the liturgy of giving. The liturgy of giving. We're going to be talking about the rhythm of the tithe. The rhythm of the tithe, which seems at first glance, and it wasn't intuitive for me, I'll be honest with you, it seems at first glance to have nothing to do with a season of reflection and keeping time with Jesus and entering into a cycle, uh, a church calendar cycle of preparing our hearts to go to the cross with Christ. But everything that we're gonna talk about taken from the life of Israel has everything to do with a sacred rhythm and a sacred cycle of living in utter dependence and gratitude and who God is and what God has done. Let's pray. Father, we ask today for the power and the help and the ministry of your Holy Spirit as we come to the word of God. Father, we thank you for all the many things that we have already engaged in this morning. The liturgy, Father God, of the people of God that come and worship you on a regular basis. I so love, Father, what, uh, what Dan and Jonathan both shared this morning, that we gather together on a promise. And Father, we gather together today on a promise the promise of what you have done and the promise of what you are doing because of what you have done. And Father, mostly the promise of what you will do, that you will come again for a bride, for a people, for a church that is ready. And we're asking today, Father, for the help and the ministry, the activity of the Holy Spirit of the living God to minister and move upon our minds, our thinking, if there's something that needs to be adjusted and the way that we think, and the way that we see our lives, and the way that we, that we look at our possessions and our, and our stuff, Father, we ask that revelation and, and, and light would enter in. Father, if there's fears that are inside of us, if there's greed that's inside of us, if there is an unhealthy control that is inside of us, we're asking that your light would enter in, and that you would bring illumination and change that can only happen by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask you these things today by faith in the name of Jesus, your son, and our Lord, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning in verse one. Now, let me just pause right here and give a little bit of backstory for those of you who are not familiar with the Old Testament text. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel, the people of Israel who were a nation that was formed by one man and one man's obedience and one man's faithful obedience to a promise of God, beginning all the way in the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man by the name of Abram. He says, follow me. I'm going to bless you. You're going to bless all the nations. All of my perspectives, people should have these things down, memorized right about now. But everything that God does, when I say everything, a lot of what God does in our lives, everything that he calls us into, it's not just for us. God wants to bless you and God is blessing you. And if you pause and you think and take inventory, you will see that God has blessed you. But we'll also see that God does not just bless us for ourselves, that he invites us into the character of his blessing and he invites us into the reality of a blessed life so that we can participate with his nature, which is to be a giving God. 
And so God calls Abraham, follow me, walk in faithful obedience. I'm gonna make you some promises. And these promises, Abram, that I'm giving to you, they're not just for you and you're not gonna experience them all in your lifetime. I would venture to say that some of you are carrying some promises that God has given to you and those promises may be fulfilled in your biological or your spiritual children or grandchildren or they may be fulfilled in the brothers and sisters that we're entering into covenant partnership with in a land far away. But God has given us promise to steward and to cover and to guard and to contend for and to exercise faith for, not just for ourselves, but for people that are connected to us. And so Abram follows God faithfully. Abram has a son, Isaac, Isaac has a son. Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. These 12 sons become what we know now as the 12 tribes of Israel and they form a nation. And at the end of Genesis, this, these, these 12 sons all find their way into a foreign land. They find their way into Egypt. And so this promise that God gave generations back to Abram that I'm gonna bless you, you're gonna become a nation, it happens. But then not too long, they find themselves in a foreign land. They're foreigners. They're refugees. They're displaced, they're alien, and they're in another land, and they're flourishing for a season, and then they're thrown into slavery. There's a new Pharaoh that rises up, we find in the beginning of the book of Exodus. There's a new Pharaoh that rises up, and out of fear, he recognizes that these people, this nation that's dwelling in my land, are growing so fast, and if they continue to grow at this rate, they will overtake us, and we've got to, we've got to squelch this thing. Slavery and oppression is a reaction to fear and control. It's control that is birthed out of a fear. And so this new Pharaoh says, we're, we gotta control this thing. And so we're gonna strip them of their power. We're gonna strip them of their dignity. We're gonna strip them of their identity. We're gonna oppress them. And they lived in slavery for 400 years, 10 generations. Imagine that. Imagine being steeped generation after generation, your heritage and your identity are linked to being an oppressed people. Listen, it's important for us to, to say these things, particularly in this season of Lent, because this is our heritage. This is our heritage. We're living in a measure of freedom, but we were birthed from the root of a people that were displaced and who lived under horrific oppression. God hears their cry, he comes, he delivers them, and then he begins to, to remake this nation into a people of sons and daughters. He has to train them. He has to teach them how to self-govern. He has to teach them what their identity is. He has to teach them how to live. He has to teach them hygiene. I mean, we, we can look at some of these laws and go, this is really, really legalistic and it's really religious. Christy was sharing with me a documentary the other day. We won't get too graphic into details, but it's something that we don't think about because we have the luxury and the privilege of basic hygiene things. Basic hygiene things. Some hygiene things that happen on a daily basis and some that happen on a, on a monthly basis that most of the world, that there is a good chunk of the world that does not have access to just Basic hygiene, right? Think about this, right? So there's an entire people here that were living in oppression and slavery that had no idea how to self-govern, how to take care of their bodies, 
What do we do? We, 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 we have, we're the ones now who have to take care. If there's relational conflict, we've got to take care of that. If someone steals, how do we handle that? And so God begins to form a nation by giving them law, by giving them rules, by giving them boundaries. And the nature of God, we have to understand, the nature of God, I'll pause right here, little parentheses. If I'm still exerting the same level of law and boundaries upon my children at 30 that I do at eight, something's wrong. Because the nature of a good parent and the nature of parenting is to Build self-government, self-discipline, wisdom inside of our children so that they are armed and equipped to face the world and to live in freedom. Now, freedom doesn't mean that we live devoid of law. It means that we live understanding the purpose of the law. And that as we engage with the purpose of the law, life is produced and restrictions of law are expanded. And that's God's plan. That's God's plan. If you think about it, in the garden, he gives them very few rules. Isn't that right? In the garden, he says, you can eat anything you want. Don't touch this one. Right? Now, they violate that. They begin to suffer the consequences of that violation. And then we see now we're at a place where now on an entire societal level, we're talking millions of people. Now we've got to, we've got to learn how to govern ourselves and we don't know how to do this. So God has to in, in, incorporate more laws. But he graduates from more laws to reduce them down to 10 laws. And if you can really get into the spirit of these 10 laws, well, you, you're, you're going you're gonna to hit the majority of these guidelines and boundaries that I'm giving to you. But as we mature and progress into the New Testament, we find that Jesus takes those 10 laws and he moves them down to two. Love your God and love your neighbor. You see, see, God's design for us is not like the enemy said that he just wants to trick and manipulate us and control us and rule us with an iron hand. The, the, the design of God is to mature us so that the law is written in our hearts because in the eschaton, Jesus, Jesus says this, that you're not even going to need the law at all because, because the spirit of a son or a daughter are so built inside of us and we trust the goodness of our father and, and the law is written inside of us. So we can get caught up on law or we can say there is a purpose for what God is using these things for to bring us into maturity because maturity is the gateway to freedom. Now, if you're not mature, I got I, I to start restricting freedom from my children. But if you start exhibiting some maturity, well, then you start getting some more freedom. And God's goal teleologically is what? For all of us to become like Christ. And if we all become like Christ, the implication there is that we are all mature. And if we are all mature, then we are all governed by the law of love. And we can walk in freedom. Heaven's going to be an awesome place. Okay, now that brings us to where we are right now. Now, the people of Israel have wandered in Exodus, in Leviticus, in Numbers. They fought battles. They're learning this journey of how to become a people. They're learning the journey of how to trust God. They're learning the journey of how to govern themselves and to have a government where they're governing one another. And they're about to enter into a promise that God promised their father generations ago. 
They're about to enter into land, a space, a place where they can inhabit and settle, a place where they can dwell. And Moses, who is the man who has been leading them for the majority of this journey, is about to transition on. He's very, very old. He's raising up a new generation of leaders. And he's saying, guys, I'm not gonna go with you into this promise, but I've got some things to share with you before you go. So they're on the precipice of crossing into promise. And Moses says, I've got to work through some liturgical items with you. We've got to get some liturgy inside of you so that when you experience freedom, you don't forget where you've come from. Okay. See, we think that liturgy is something that's been designed to take freedom away. And if we understand that there is a purpose in the habits and in the rhythms and the practices that God has given to us, they actually show us how far we can run. They show us how free we truly can be. So here in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse one, when you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, I wish Sadron was here today. Where's my boy at today? (laughs) You need to tell Sadron to listen to this message because I had him in mind as I was getting these downloads. Let's look at this one more time. When you have entered, say, when I have entered. Listen, there is a promise that has been given to you and you will enter. You will enter that promise. When you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you have, look at this, taken possession of it and settled in it. Now I just got to pause here and preach for a little bit because God doesn't give us promises just to like juggle and hold on to promises, okay? He gives us promises to inherit. And in order to inherit promise, you have to enter in, okay? There's this progression here. You're gonna enter in, and then he says, you're gonna do what? Possess it. You're gonna possess it. You're gonna lay hold of it. You're gonna receive it. You're gonna take it, okay? Not take it like where you're seizing, but you're gonna say, yes, I want what you're giving to me. I choose to lay hold of it. I choose to take ownership of it. And then look what happens next. They settle. They settle. They establish roots. They build an identity in that promise. So listen, there are things that God has promised to us and you've gotta enter into that. You've got to say, I'm going to take steps towards that. I'm going to have movement towards that. And then I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I receive that. I seize it. I take a hold of it. I possess it. It's inside of me. It's in my bones. I believe it. All right. And then you've got to settle into that thing. In order for you to really take inheritance of promise, you have to, you've got to put roots into it. You've got to take roots into the inheritance that God has given to you. Let's keep reading here, verse two. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. I'll tell you what, let's read the entire passage, the next 11 verses, okay? Then we'll go back and we'll break this down. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. And then go to the place, say the place. Yeah, there is a place, it's not arbitrary. Go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And say to the priest in the office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. So look what's happening here. He's speaking to the priest and there's something that's very meaningful there. 
Verse four, the priest shall take the basket from your hands, set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God, and then you shall declare before the Lord, my father was a wandering Aramean. All right, we just talked about that. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, wandering Arameans. And they went down into Egypt with a few people. They lived there. They became a great, powerful nation. Verse six, but the Egyptians mistreated us. They made us suffer. They subjected us to harsh labor. And then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and he saw our misery, our toil, and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror, with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place. He gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given to me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice, shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you in your household. It's amazing how many times rejoicing and cheerfulness are associated with giving in the scriptures. That's not coincidental because we find that thousands of years later, hundreds even into a thousand years after this was written, Paul is exhorting the people that you should give God because God loves a cheerful giver. And there is something about an attitude and a disposition and a posture of excitement and celebration and rejoicing that are associated with how and when we give. Now that may not be intuitive. That may not be intuitive. That may be something that we got to mature and grow into that we get to a place where we're more excited. We're more excited at the fact of what God can do with the little that we give than what we can do with what we hold on to. There's some interesting stats here when you, and this was actually done in 2018. So this is very, very recent. Um, uh, PushPay did a church giving statistics, and this is the 2019 edition. And some of this I just thought would be interesting for us to hear as a people. Now, none of this applies to us. This is for all the people outside of Antioch Church. Okay? All right? This says tithers only make up 10 to 25% of any congregation. Point number two, eight out of 10 people who give to churches have zero credit card debt. Thought that was interesting. Eight out of 10 people. Uh, Religious giving is down about 50% since 1990. And I love this. This is a little note to pastors. If you feel like you're pulling teeth to get people in your congregation to give, which we don't, you're not alone. Now, let me just pause here. I am not preaching this message because we need more money. I'm not preaching that. I'm not preaching this message because I'm trying to strong arm or manipulate anybody to doing something financially. I'm preaching this message after the offering's given. All right. I'm teaching and preaching this message because it is a part of the community of faith. It is part of our covenant. It is a part of our spiritual formation and it's good for you. And my goal, just like God's goal and the goal of any good pastor should be to teach and equip the people. And then it's up to you. It's up to you whether or not you take that and mature into that so that there can be more freedom in your life. Some of us have been wrestling with God and crying out and saying, I need more financial freedom, more financial blessing. And he can't even trust you with the little that he's given to you. 
But if he can trust us, if we can mature, if we can say no to certain things, if we can budget, if we can plan, if we can say, God, this part belongs to you, God says, great, I'm going to expand your boundaries and your borders because you have demonstrated that you are capable of handling more than you are right now. That is God's plan. God wants that, like $1,300, are you kidding me for a toilet? God is like, there's somebody in here who can do that right now. God wants us to live in that place where we see a need and we say, oh yeah, God has built things inside of me and there is bountiful blessing in my life and boom, $1,300 is nothing. That's part of your future. I'm getting so excited, I'm getting off track here. Religious giving is down since 1990. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches. 2.5. Listen to this. During the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. During the Great Depression. It's crazy to think that Depression era giving was higher than it is now. It seems like we live in an era of great wealth and opportunity. Why would people not give more? This one is really, really fascinating. Number five, of families that make $75,000 or more, don't raise your hand, only 1% of families that made more than $75,000 tithed. <laughs> I love these responses. But listen to this, this one right here, this is the one that we should probably be really rejoicing. According to a 2015 Share Faith article, people with a salary of less than $20,000 per year were eight times more likely to give than someone who made $75,000 or more a year. Okay, a lot more that we can say, some fun statistics to just give us an idea of what's happening in the, in the cultural and in the Christian landscape that's out there. Now, remember, that's not us. That's not us. That's all those other people. I have no idea what happens uh, here. I just only see large numbers. I don't know who gives, and I like to keep it that way. Okay, let's, keep, let's, let's go back up to the top here and let's go to number two. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. What we're gonna see here is a consistent theme and it's a consistent pattern. And the pattern here is everything that we have we have because God has given it to us. Take a little tiny portion called the first fruit of what you have produced, but where did you produce it from? The soil, and where'd you get the soil? God gave it to you. And notice here, notice right here, I love just some of the, the language that's here. Take a portion of all that you produce. I know sometimes we like to get real you know, nitpicky, is it gross? Is it net? If it, is it, listen, right here, it's pretty simple. Take a portion of all that you produce because it is a spiritual act. It is a spiritual act. And essentially the declaration is that God, before I give this to anyone else or before anyone else demands this of me, there is a higher law. There is a higher law than the U.S. Treasury that is at place here. And the higher law is uh, and, and it seems that there is no repercussion if we don't follow this law. But remember, God's design is to put the law in our heart where we're motivated by love that leads us into freedom. 
So then we say, it doesn't matter that there is no coercion. I don't have to force you and say, if you don't tithe, you're under a curse. I don't believe in that. I'm not going to preach that. Because God's design is not to force us or coerce us into obedience. God's design is to say, there is a wisdom here that you may not understand, but if you trust me, you will live in the blessed life. So take a portion from all that you produce from the land that I am giving to you. Verse three, and say, oh, oh, verse two, and go to the place, say the place. There is a place where your tithe belongs. Now, I know that, you know, there's been such a rise of nonprofits. We're very justice-driven. I know that most of us in this room can probably rattle off about five to ten nonprofit leaders that we're connected with and endeavors that we believe passionately in. But according to this, there is a place. There is a place. It's the place you call home. It's the place, according to the word right here, it's the place where God has chosen to put his name. And it's, and it's a prophetic picture of his church. And this is the place where you are to bring your offering because remember, this isn't just an arbitrary deal. My, one of my big targets on the wall this morning is to move us beyond just this kind of haphazard, arbitrary, I'll pull my phone out and send a text. That's fine. If you're going to send a text, do that with meaning. Do that worshipfully. Do that intentionally. I want, to say, I want to brag about you guys because last week, guys, the numbers were low. And understandably so. Half the city was taken out with the flu. And it was snowing. So I wasn't expecting there to be a huge crowd. But listen, when we're going week to week, which, you know, most small churches do, there is in the back of the mind of every pastor and every business manager, like, it's just a reality, Right? But listen, last week, Antioch Church gave, last week, where there was 25% of the people in this room, we gave online, we gave through, you know, through our digital platforms, and we had one of the largest offerings we've had in months. And that's because of your faithfulness. And that's because of the revelation that you carry. And I just want to say thank you so much for that. But there is a place for you to bring the first fruits the portion, the tithe of all that you produce from the land that the Lord has given to you. Verse three, say to the priest in office at that time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. I think this is so powerful. There is, see, this is liturgical things here. Right, what is he saying? He says, this is a, this is a rhythm. This is a cycle. This is not a one-time deal, Okay. This is not just when, you, you know, you're experiencing high blessing. This is not just when you're desperate and you need to get a seed in the ground. Okay, this is a liturgy. It is a liturgical rhythm. What, what, what is a liturgical rhythm? I, I just wrote this out. I thought it might be helpful for us. Where'd it go? Oh, a, a liturgy is a sacred rhythm. It is an act of worshipful obedience that is forming me and us into the image of Christ. It is a sacred rhythm. It is a holy habit, right? It is a divine practice that God is involved in. That when we participate with these holy habits and when we participate in this 
liturgy, both individually and corporately, God is involved in it. And he is moving and he is working with the liturgy that he proscribes. And he's saying, go to the priest. Now, what's going on here? Uh, I'm not expecting you guys to come to me. But what is, what he's, he's setting a precedence and a pattern here that your giving is unto God. Okay? And this was actually a distinction between all of the other nations that were out there that were trying to manipulate the fertility gods of that day and that age and trying to control the seasons of sowing and reaping. And so God is saying, we're going to prescribe something that goes beyond seasons. We're going to prescribe something that is very predictable, that is very rhythmic in nature, so that you're not moved by the seasons, and you're not moved by trying to manipulate me by what I've invited you to bring. You understand what I'm saying this morning? So, say to the priest, the priest is very simply the representative from God to humanity. And it's the representative from humanity to God. So whenever you see this, don't, don't kind of get locked into our Western, like, is he saying that I've got to come and drop feet at the apostle? No, no, no. You don't know what I No one's saying run up here and drop money at the, at the bishop's feet, okay? What we're saying here, okay, and I'm not calling myself a bishop. What we're saying here is that in this passage, that the people brought this to a human and the human represented God. And so our gift is not to Jay Duncan. Our gift is not to Antioch Church. Your gift is to God. And there is this, there is this function that the priest as representative of God uh, performs where we say your gift is received. Your gift is received. And it is blessed. And that happens on a weekly basis. Some of this is probably going to change the way we might do some things around here. Because notice what happens next. Verse 4, the priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar. It is a worshipful gift. Now, we had a, we had a rhythm where everybody would bring their offering forward. And that came out of that revelation that we bring our offering to the Lord. And so, you know, being in a new building and different dynamics and all the things that are in play, we've said, okay, well, let's adjust that. But I think what would be nice is as the buckets go back, that we actually either start from the back and work our way forward, but we bring them into the front because this is our worship unto the Lord. And we say, God, receive the worship of our time, our talent, our treasure Receive the worship of a part of our life. It's not the totality of our life. But this represents a part of our life that nothing else in the world represents. And God knows that. God is into concrete material things, if you've not figured this out. Because we can say, God, I love you. And he says, great. Hey, I tell you what. I know that you get up early. I know that you work hard. I know that you're working on the business. I know the business is prospering. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take a portion of that out of your love for me, and I want you to bring that to me and just without any strings attached, present that as an offering, reminding yourself of our journey together and reminding yourself of where you've been and where you're going. And then you're like, uh, I don't know about that. He said, but no, 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 no. You said you love me. See, God's, God's into more than just talk. I mean, I've said this before. Many of you guys know this, but, you know, I do this with my kids all the time, right? What do I call that? My snack tax? My snack tithe? 
man, I have not loved buying my kids snacks. And most of the times I'll buy them snacks and not buy myself anything. Why should I buy myself anything when I got four kids that all have bags of chips? I'm like, okay, everybody bring your chips here. <laughs> Open them up. And this works really great for me because then I get some Funyuns and I get some Cheetos and I get some barbecue kettle chips. I get a little bit of everything. That's a great deal. See? They know, man, if they go to some harvest party, I'm like, load them out to bring out the bags. Spread it all out. I just walk by and this is called first fruits, kids. Get used to it now. I'm just building the rhythm inside of you. It's the liturgy of the harvest party. Just come here. I got candy from five years ago. It's not, I don't need that. I don't want the candy. I want something formed inside of them. Kind of. God doesn't need your candy. <laughs> All right, take a look at verse five. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God. Oh, wait, hold on. Look at verse three. Sorry. Listen to this declaration. Listen to this creedal statement that God invites the people to say, I declare to the Lord your God that I have come to the land. I'm here. Now there's gonna be a revelation bomb that goes off in somebody probably later this afternoon. But he's saying that when you come and you bring your offering to the Lord on a regular rhythm, there is a creed that you recite. And here's what he's saying, recite this. We're here. We've made it. You promised it. The promise was stewarded from generation to generation. And part of this rhythm of first fruiting and tithing to the Lord is saying that you were good on the promise that you gave to our father generations ago. And this is a prophetic act. If there is any prophetic act in the church, and there are many, this is one of them. I am coming and I am declaring every time you write a check, Every time you send something through a text or go online or you put a dollar bill in this place, you are covenantally declaring prophetically God is faithful to his promises. You're doing that. Okay, verse four, the priest shall take the basket, send it from the altar, verse five, then you shall declare again before the Lord your God. Watch this, watch this. My father was a wandering Aramean. The one who started this entire journey was a wanderer who had no land, and we are the recipients of his faithfulness. Some gospel bombs are gonna come off here pretty soon. Are you just... We belong to a lineage of faithfulness before God, and we are reaping the benefits of somebody else's faithfulness. We are reaping the benefits of somebody else's covenant line in God. We are reaping the benefits of Jesus's faithful obedience who Paul calls as the first fruits of the new humanity that we're going to become. Everything that God does is purposeful. Every time that you come and you give, I want you to, I want you just in your spirit say, I am declaring the gospel. Because as I bring a first fruit of God's faithfulness to me, I am reminded that Jesus is a first fruit of God's best and God gave his best so that I could enter into his rest. And every time we do that, we are participating in a rhythm that is forming our lives. I thank God for my mom. My mom at an early age, from the first time I started getting a dollar, she was like, come here, son, here's what we're gonna do. I didn't understand it, I didn't need to. 
I couldn't understand it. I had to trust. But my mom would come, and at 12 years old, she says, we're going to take that $10. I'm going to take one of those dollars. We're going to give that to God because it belongs to him. And you know what has happened in my life over the past 30 years? Beginning at 12 years old, starting this rhythm, starting this habit, starting this discipline, entering into this liturgy, it's not difficult. It's not difficult. You know where I'm at right now is that God is challenging me and he's saying, son, I'm glad you tithe, but now we need to start upping up, ramping up your offerings, <laughs> okay? Well, it's time to start ramping up your offerings because, and thank you, Dr. Rutland, but you really can't engage in the offering until you first satisfy the tithe. So a lot of, a lot of us are running around thinking that we're giving offerings, but you cannot give an offering if you have not given the tithe. Because the offering is only the offering if the tithe has been satisfied. And so now the Lord is saying, 10%, son, that's good. That's good. But if we enter into New Testament covenant, I'm really asking for all of it. It all belongs to me. The 10% was really just a way to form your heart into saying, God, this is an act of submission and this is an act of surrender and everything that I have belongs to you. This is just representative of that truth. Guys, I'm telling you, there's a lot here that we can unpack. I mean, we, we, we could talk about the, the practical benefits of this. We could talk about learning how to budget. We could talk about learning how to live off of less. I mean, there's amazing things that we could get into. But here's what I'm going to pull this into before we go to the table. I want to pull this into the season of Lent that we are in right now. Because a people that were formed in the desert, and the gospel text this morning is Luke chapter 4, where Jesus goes to the desert, and he is tempted by the enemy in the wilderness. And what was the first temptation that the enemy gave to Jesus? If you really are the son of God, if you really do belong to this lineage, if you really do have this covenant that you talk about so much, that's cool. Take this and provide for yourself. Take stones and provide for yourself. Live off the 100%. Keep everything to yourself, Jesus. You see, Jesus himself redeemed something in humanity when he went into the wilderness and the enemy targeted his, the temptation to be a self-sustaining, self-sufficient man. And Jesus overcame that. But he overcame it in the wilderness. And they're receiving this liturgy in the wilderness. You're about to step into promise, but while you're still here in the wilderness, I want you to remember you've gone through a difficult time. You've gone through hardship. I want you to remember that you were slaves. I want you to remember that you were refugees. You're going to enter into your own promise. You're going to put your roots down. You're going to plant something that's going to spout up, sprout up. Why? Because it's a land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to be abundant. You're going to be productive. But when that happens, I want you to remember that in the wilderness, I gave you some instructions. Don't forget. Don't forget. You see, at the heart of the tithe, and there are many things here, but at the heart of the tithe, it is us remembering the covenant faithfulness of God and not forgetting his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness. And this is why the last verse here in verse 11 says, and I love this so much, it says, then you and the Levites, and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. Rejoice. 
Rejoice. See, when I was growing up, some of the black churches I went to, they would actually clap their hands and they would shout and they would dance when it was time to give. Okay, and it was part of the liturgy of that of those houses that I had the privilege of being a part of for different seasons. It was, it, I mean, you guys, it was like it's time to give, and everybody would jump up and Aah! why? Why is that? Because they understood here, God has been good to us. God has been faithful to us. God has been kind to us. Far be it from us to be tight-fisted with God when He has given us everything. He has given us everything in Jesus. Now, as we make this turn, and Jonathan, would you please come forward? as we make this turn and we come to the table, we engage in another prophetic act. We engage in another concrete material habit that shapes us to remember that all that we have in this life, spiritually, materially, has been given to us because God gave his first fruit. God gave his best. And just like there was a pattern that was established for the Israelite people in the wilderness, there was a pattern that was established for Jesus in the wilderness. Son, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna provide for you. I'm gonna be faithful to you and you're gonna overcome and you are going to open up the floodgates of an abundant life for all of humanity. And Jesus being faithful to the Father in the wilderness, faithful to the Father in a season of Lent, faithful to the Father in the season of of being tried He came out on the other side to be an offering, a good offering, a first fruit offering to the Father. And we are the harvest of that offering. We are the recipients of the faithfulness of Jesus and the obedience of Jesus to the Father to give his life. And now we receive that harvest. Friends, if you would stand with me this morning as we prepare our hearts to come to the table. And here's what I'd like to do before we come. And I'd like to do this on more of a regular basis. I'd like for us to think and sit with the Holy Spirit. Some of us, I just know that this hits some certain certain things in our hearts. If you find yourself arguing, well, you just used Old Testament passages. Let the Lord go there. (laughs) I've heard them all, guys. And listen, I also want to say this. We live in freedom. We do not live under law. Okay? And what I want to say is that that God is a merciful and just. He's a kind and gracious God. And he will meet you where you are at. He will meet you where you're at. And you might be in a place for whatever reason of your life that you, you, would, you would just honestly take a look because God's, God's goal, God's best for you is not for you to go in debt to try to, to, try to fulfill this. That is not his goal. This is why in 2 Corinthians, Paul gave explicit instructions. You give what you have. You do not give what you do not have. And I've heard people that have, that have ran up credit cards trying to put a seed in the ground. And you know what it did? It just got them in debt because they did it from wrong instruction and they did it from wrong motivation. The, the scriptures are very clear. Give what you have. Make adjustments in your life. Cut certain things out. Cancel Netflix. Don't go to the coffee shop as often, Okay. If you have a problem tithing, take inventory of where all that money is going out. Okay, and here's what I promise you. If you will make those adjustments and you say, God, I will honor you, I will put you forth. There is a, there is a commanded blessing that is available. There is a commanded blessing that is waiting for you and you'll find Netflix will come back. You probably don't need to watch as much of it anyway as you've been. Hey, okay, so 
maybe you're just saying, God, I can only do 5%. You think God's gonna say, well, you know what? All the blessings of heaven would be, I'm just gonna give you it. And that's not who our God is. If you're at 5%, you give 5%. But you say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make hard decisions. I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna cut fat out of my life. And you move that five to seven. You move that seven to nine. You get to that place of 10. That's your baseline. Some of you guys are at 10% and you know the Lord is saying, this is great. Let's, let's increase. Let's go to 12. Let's go to 15. Let's increase our baseline. How many of you guys hear what I'm saying this morning? Father, I'm asking that you would speak to us right now in the presence of God. Father, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would just address fears. Father, I pray right now that that the lives that many of us have lived that have just created fear inside of us, a, a, a very real poverty spirit and a poverty mindset that has ruled us. I'm asking, oh God, that you would just hover right now and that you would break that off, that you would lift that off of our lives, that you would just remove fear, remove control, remove greed, remove consumerism. I'm asking that you would address the materialism. I'm asking that you would address the selfishness, just address that. And Lord, at the heart of all this, I pray for two things. I pray that, that we would come to a place of absolute surrender and absolute gratitude. And today, as we come to the table, we come in absolute surrender, but we also come in absolute gratitude and celebration because all that we have has been given to us by Christ Jesus. Antioch Church, I invite you to come to receive of the grace and the goodness that has been mediated through Christ Jesus today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.